So we are called to just this absolute devotion to Jesus Christ. We're called not just to, to trust him, not just to accept the gift of salvation from him, but we're called, called to be totally devoted to him. Uh, in First Peter, Peter writes to people that are suffering. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Other translations will put that, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Just acknowledge that that's who he is. Peter goes on here to say, be ready to have an answer for everyone who asks you and answer them well. Over in Colossians, Paul puts it this way to us. One of many places and many ways that he, he talks about how devoted we're supposed to be to Jesus. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him also in glory. When Christ, who is your life, that that's, this speaks to just how devoted we're supposed to be to him and how devoted our lives are supposed to be to him. And the problem that, that we all run into is this, is this issue in so many areas, but certainly our relationship with him is the issue of slippage, that, that we, we have him as Lord of our lives and then things come up or things get hard or things are different than we thought or things are not as we planned and all those areas, we just kind of slide away from that and somehow Jesus is not so much the Lord of our lives, we're not so much devoted to him. That is not a word we'd use. We might say we're still committed to him. We might say we're still following him. But if we were to say absolutely, totally devoted to him, maybe not so much. There's that slippage that goes on. And so these three messages that I want to do, I'm putting under the kind of this banner of that Lord is more than a title. It's, it's probably the word we say most about Jesus. Lord, I was just talking to the Lord the other day, Lord, um, you know, thank you for this day. Lord, would you do this for me? We call him Lord probably more than anything else. God is a little bit, you know, to use the word God, that's a little more impersonal. He's made himself known to us through Jesus. So Lord, that's it, but it's more than a title. So I want to do these messages kind of as a reality check. You know, there are things that you'll do that just give you that reality check. This is where you hope things are. This is where you want things to be. But in reality... This is where things are. They are what they are. And when you look down, that's how it is. And some of your goals are to be healthier this year or whatever that is. But I want this message to kind of have that kind of a, wow, here's, here's what the scriptures say, and here's where my life is. Not in, a, not in a way, I mean, the evil one will use these messages to throw condemnation on all of us. That's something I've wrestled with this week. That, okay, God, here's what you say my relationship would, should, with you should be. Here's what you say Lord of my life means. And I can see these areas. I do not want this to be, and God's heart is not for it to be, a series of guilt and condemnation and just another spiritual beatdown. He does want it, a place where Jesus is raised up where he's supposed to be, and, and we line our lives up with that and then experience these great things we've just sung about. So, so, so in that way, this morning, this is where I want to focus is what you say when you say Lord Jesus. You know, you say who you are who you say you are. Well, when we say Lord Jesus, what are we saying? And that's where, that's where I want to be this morning, and that's where I want to kind of unroll that. There's a, a place where Jesus is in the, he's teaching and he's speaking and He's just throwing everything into upheaval. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes and, and people in commentaries have said in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is teaching, this is what I am about. This is who I am and this is how I understand the law. 
It's kind of his coming out, someone said, his coming out party of here I am as Messiah, this is what I believe, this is what the truth is. <clears throat> and when he does that, he totally blows away what people thought. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, you know that line he has in several points, he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, but I say. So he's correcting things that they've been told. <clears throat> Excuse me. In other places, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed, you know, uh, and, he, and he keeps going on. This is who heaven blesses. It's totally different than the, what the Pharisees had been teaching them and the system that they had built. So when Jesus came, he, he just was all about upheaval. When you read the Gospels, you watch people are trying to understand what are you saying? And what are you saying about everything that I thought was okay? And what are you doing with my relationship with God and what I thought it was supposed to be and what I felt okay about being? Why are you shifting the whole thing? This is what he's done from the very beginning. And so in, in Matthew 7, when he's winding up the Sermon on the Mount, he has some things to say just to kind of clear the deck and to clear the way for us and even to say about what we, what we talk about and under this whole thing of what do you say when you say Lord Jesus? Because at the end of Matthew 7, there are people that are saying Lord, Lord, that he just wants to clarify. So yeah, turn with me in your Bible, your device to Matthew 7. I want to start reading in, in verse 15. Matthew 7, 15. you've got a red letter Bible, then you know this is Jesus still talking. He's talking all the way through these chapters. He says in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You talk about totally blowing people out of the water with what they thought, were the, you know, how they thought they were okay, and then finding out they were not okay. You likely are not going to reject what I say this morning. We don't do that when, whether it's me or Pastor Ted or whoever's preaching, rarely, rarely do we ever reject what we're hearing modify it you know we take it and well if you if you knew what's going on in my life right now or if you knew you know i'm not sure that will really work for me i'm not sure it needs to be that extreme we tend to modify things and that's why it's important for us to see that jesus didn't come to modify he doesn't talk about tweaking your life he talks about a new creation he doesn't talk about wanting to be one of the important things of your life he talks in terms of full devotion and full surrender. And so when you say, Lord Jesus, it's important that we, we really grasp what are we saying when we call him Lord and what's, in, what's involved in that. 
He knew that people would see him as someone to use. And that's likely what's going on with these false prophets. When Peter will write about false prophets in 2 Peter, when Jude writes about them in his letter, they talk about how they are they're doing this, they are in this ministry to get money out of people, to exploit the teaching of Jesus for their own gain or to take advantage of, of women, they both say as well. So there are people that will use Jesus' name to get something. Boy, and we fall into that sometimes in much lesser ways, don't we? Jesus, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, because I believe if I follow you, then and we fill in the blank, which is I'm following you because you are the way, the truth, the life. Like the disciples said, there's, who else are we going to follow? Who else has the words of life? Who else has all authority for us? So he talks about false prophets, and he talks about people that are using them, that, that are using him, that are false. And then he, he talks about this terrible moment that's coming, you know, that Lord, and calling Jesus Lord, that doesn't automatically guarantee a good response. They say, Lord, Lord. They say it twice. That's only done four times in, in Jesus' experience. Only four times in the New Testament do you have somebody say, Lord, Lord. And three of them are recounting this, this moment, standing before Jesus when, you know, there's a little bit of panic, panic there. You're at the judgment seat. The judgment seat of unbelievers really is where you are in, in, uh, in Matthew 7, 21. And he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, I'm home. Lord, Lord, here I am. Or whatever goes on at the end of that first Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, look where we are. And they begin to, something happens and they begin to feel uncomfortable. And he says, yeah, we don't, you're not on the list. Because it says, it says in the scriptures that the books will be open. Whosever name is found, it's, we don't find your name. That's an awkward feeling anyway in, in all kinds of things, isn't it? I mean, Cindy and I are going to a family wedding later this afternoon. And what are we going to do? We get the reception. We're going to look to see, you know, number one, is there a card with our name on it? You know, because that's awkward, isn't it, when you realize they're alphabetical, but, but you're not in the C section. You know, and so you just start looking. <clears throat> because you know if you don't have a card, they're going to find a seat for you. But now who you sit with is totally out the window. You know? <laughs> Like, we know who we're sitting with. We've got a pretty good table this, this afternoon. So we know if there's no card, at least we know where we're sitting. Imagine that moment. They open the books, and Jesus is letting us know in that moment, there are going to be people who are sure their name is in there because they've learned the right things to say, and they've even done some religious things. Didn't we prophesy in your name? You know, didn't we say that you said things? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't, you know, didn't we do these good works in your name? They've got the right words and they've got some of the right stuff. They think, but they never had the right moment. And so, interesting, when it talks about them, in verse 20 it says, not everyone who says to me, but when it gets to Jesus' moment to speak, in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, that's the judge making his decision. That's a word, not just I'm talking to you. That's here I'm drawing the line and I'm saying what I'm saying, that I, I never knew you. It's, it's time for you to go. Lord, Lord, can, can you step into this minute, into this just a little bit? I mean, this is the judgment of, of unbelievers. And maybe some of you need to hear that, that maybe you grew up going to church, maybe you kind of know the story but you've never personally trusted Jesus to 
to save you and to lead your life. Because that's what it comes down. That's what it comes down to. I was reading. A, I was reading in a study by um, George Barna, who does a lot of Christian uh, researching and polling. Barna found that 45% of Americans now say that they have been born again. 45% of Americans say that they have uh, accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior uh, from sin. 45%. I heard this week there's 328 million people in America today. So Siri told me that 45% of 328 million is 147 million. If there were 147 million people in America who loved their neighbor as they loved themselves, we would not be where America is right now. So, so either America is just darker and the gospel doesn't work, or we have a lot of that 45% who are deceiving themselves. So he probed a little further into what it means to be born again and found out that 36% are deceived, that when they use the words, they don't really understand what it is they're saying or they've never had that experience. 36% of that. I came across a, uh, an article just reading several things this week, and this brother was just talking about what lordship means. Or actually, I have it on a slide in the... This is from the Message Bible. I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, this is Arthur W. Pink. You may have some of his little commentaries. This is in James Boyce's commentary in Sermon on the Mount. He says, Never were there so many millions of nominal Christians on earth as there are today. You know, nominal, they name the name of Christians. Remember during the Serbian Wars, they were, the Christians were fighting the Muslims, and you were kind of ashamed of both, you know, of what went on. So people that just name, I'm a Christian but nothing beyond that. He says, never was there such a small percentage of real ones. We seriously doubt whether there has ever been a time in history of this Christian era when there were such multitudes of deceived souls within the churches who very believe that all is well with their souls when in fact the wrath of God abides on them. People that are doing the church thing, but they've never given themselves to Jesus. They've never acknowledged that they need to be saved and that he's the only way to be saved and found forgiveness in him and new life and walked with him. People that just name the name, but, but they're not going in the journey. Look at how Gene Peterson puts this passage in the, in the Message Bible. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands striding up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message, we bashed the demons, our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. That's, you know, when, when people modernize it, boy, you get a little bit more of the effect of how it must have gone at the moment. Early in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll certainly not see the kingdom of heaven. And everyone is thinking, man, the Pharisees, that's the most holy person I know. I've got to be better than that. And of course, the law and the Sermon on the Mount is trying to bring us all to the point of realizing, I can't do this. I've got to just fall on your mercy, which is where salvation happens. It doesn't happen in our works. It just happens in, in his mercy. And so those things happen. Can you take a step back and make sure that that's not going to be you at the great judgment? 
that God hasn't, in the same way that he orchestrated, you know, Don's nephew's daughter to get that ultrasound, that God has orchestrated you maybe to be here today to make sure you hear this and you don't go on the way of thinking, no, I think, I don't think God would judge me that way. I think he, I think I'm good. If you're in Jesus, you're good. I mean, that's what scripture says. He who has the son has life, but he who does not have the son of God, the, the wrath of God abides on him. And of course, you know, if you, if you know your Bible, if you studied, this is for people that have never given themselves to Jesus. But, but we need to feel a little bit of that, Lord. I don't want to show up at the judgment seat of Christ, at our judgment for what we've done since we've been saved. I don't want to show up at that judgment deceived either. When, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, they're all over the place, living wise, they got living, you know, they're living together without being married, they're, they're just, they're going into demonic temples, they're doing all kinds of things, they're suing each other. The, the book of Corinthians shows you what a mess that church could be. So Paul says to them, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Boy, for all of us that are serving in different places in ministries, maybe Kids Church or maybe Route One or all these different things God's doing and we're serving, shouldn't that be the phrase that describes how we do what we do? He looks at church planning, he says, I was like a skilled master builder. You know, not throwing this lesson together for the kids. I want to prepare it like a skilled master builder. I love that. So he says, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Now he's talking about how you build your life. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, uh, Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If, that work survi- if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is built up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but it only is through fire. What Paul's saying is that somebody's, somebody built the foundation of Jesus in my life. You know, somebody shared the gospel with me. Somebody shared with me that I was a sinner, that I faced God's judgment. There was nothing I could do except throw myself on the mercy of God and his mercy that he's, ex- that he's displayed to us through Jesus who paid for my sin. And that foundation started that day that I accepted Jesus to be my savior and became a follower of his. What I've done every day since then, Paul says, is either gold, silver, precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. One burns and one gets refined. All the things that I've done that were good for Jeff Chandler and made life easier for Jeff Chandler and were things that Jeff Chandler didn't deal with or things that Jeff Chandler dealt with that he shouldn't have dealt with, or all those things that were way more important to him, all those Patriot games you stayed up for and wish you wouldn't have, you know, stuff like that. We had to have one reference. All those things that didn't matter, they're just going to be gone. But everything that I did that served Jesus, that served the kingdom, whether it was just, you know, who, who we talked to, who I talked to at lunch and where that conversation went and what it did in somebody's heart or what I might have said to someone that helped them in the next step of their journey or what I understood from the scripture that the Holy Spirit used to change my life or whatever it was that was done 
for the Lord Jesus by the power of the Spirit, that lasts. And when it's all done and when it's all the fire's put out and there's its left, that's when they decide, well, Chandler, here's your reward based on that. I don't know how that works. I was thinking, is it going to be all these CDs of our lives that's going to be there? I mean, you get this image, but what's the reality of it? Or are they books? Because Scripture talks in a couple places about all the things, the books were open and they were read. Are they books of, of all your life and all of my life? See, the, the danger for you and I, if, if our struggle is, and if we're trying to get our thing is, what do you say when you say, Lord Jesus? You cannot, you cannot console yourself by saying, well, I've done a lot of things for the Lord over the course of my life. You can't do that. You can't say, I've got 10 punches on my ticket, you know, so I think I'll be okay when I get there. You have to measure by, did I live every moment of my life with Jesus Christ as Lord and do what he told me to do in that moment? That's what he's looking for. And that's when we talk about lordship, that's, that's what we're talking about, that whole that that position that he has in our lives, that authority, that role that he has in a life. Because there's a lot of different ways that you can say Lord. In those days, you could say, you could say Lord and just be being polite. Sir, you're going to see that a couple times in Scripture. They come to Philip in John chapter 12. These, these Greek men come to Philip and they, they're from Bethsaida in Galilee and they ask him, Sir, that's the word Lord in our New Testament. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They don't mean Lord because they're talking to Philip, not Jesus. Or, you know, when Jesus is risen from the dead and Mary's in the garden and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't know who he is, Jesus says to her, woman, who are you weeping? And why are you weeping? And who are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she doesn't think he's, she's talking to Jesus. She thinks she's talking to the gardener. She said to him, sir, it's our word, Lord. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him I'll take him away. Sir, sir, make sure when you say Lord, you're not just saying sir. You're not just being polite to Jesus. To, to make sure it's beyond that. Or they would, use, they would use the word sometimes of somebody that you knew had some more authority than you. Maybe you didn't, you might, you didn't have to like them. You didn't have to really want to do what they said. You just recognized they were in a position of authority. Somebody like your boss. You know, in Luke 16, Jesus tells this story and he says, he's talking about this manager that works for this man. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master, my boss, my Lord, same word, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. He's using this word Lord, but just using it for the person over him, or actually they use this word when they go to Pilate and ask him to seal the grave on Jesus they say that the next day after Jesus is crucified, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, Lord, same word, sir. We remember how the imposter said while he was still alive after three days I'll rise. So you can use Lord politely. You can use Lord to say, hey, I know you have authority. I'm going to acknowledge your authority. But it's way beyond that. We understand you know, he, Jesus has this position, but you can have position and you can have titles and all kinds of things, but nobody really pays much attention to you. You think of the kings and the queens in the world. They're great to have. And I've read the best thing about the queen for the economy, uh, for England, is what she does for the economy and the money she brings in. But when Queen Elizabeth speaks, it's not like everyone in England says, oh my goodness, we've got to do that. 
or when the king of Norway or, or whatever country you're talking about, there are, a couple of, there are a couple of countries where you have an absolute monarchy and when that king speaks, it just goes. Everything happens, but that's rare. That's rare. So we have to make sure that we have to make sure that we're not treating Jesus that way. We've come, Lord Jesus, and we've come to sing songs to you because we know you're on the throne and we're going to use the word Lord. But really, when we come down to it, we're going to read the word and we're going to decide what makes us feel good and what we think is a little too hard or it's not us or you don't understand or it doesn't work today. See, that's a separation on, on how it is that we're, how we're using Lord. There's this place we were looking at it a couple weeks ago in prayer in Malachi God says to the people, I have loved you. But the people say back to him, how? How have you loved us? You get a sense in that, and, and that kind of thread goes all the way through Malachi. You get a sense in there, there is some kind of breakdown there between who God is and his role in the nation's life and the reality of what they're finding. I mean, God's stepping in to confront his people, and they're just contesting him in the same way that in Matthew chapter 7, when they're in this moment, they're kind of contesting with Jesus. They're understanding that things are not right. And so they say, well, listen, didn't we do these things in your name? Remember, notice how that's repeated all three times. We, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And we did many mighty, I might say, works in your name. That's a contesting kind of a thing. You're grounded. What do you mean I'm grounded? I vacuumed the house. I did my homework. I took care of my brother. He, you know, he's in the crib all morning, but I took care of him. That's contesting. That is not acknowledging authority. And yet, that's, that's how much, that's how most, many of us wrestle with Jesus. What do you mean? What do you mean in this? So what you say when you say, Lord, it has to mean all authority. It has to mean that he's the absolute ruler of our lives of our church, uh, of these things. It has to mean all authority because he says that's what's been given to him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So whatever I say goes. It's just how it is when you're Lord and you've been given all authority. And it's funny because we say, well, what he says go. It's interesting because what he says is Go. He says, all authorities in heaven and earth have been given to me. We know this passage. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. So easy to determine is Jesus Lord of my life in this moment, in this season of my life. I just need to, to look at my life and open up your schedule and your, your, your priorities and your bank account and put up all those things and see, am I discipling somebody? Are there people that I'm discipling on a regular basis? Am I, is God using me? Am I available for him to to use in the lives of discipling people. Because once he told us he had all authority, that's what he said to do. And so, remember I said, you're not going to reject that, because of course that's true. And that's why we've wrapped our whole mission statement around here, Cottage Hill. We're just going to start modifying. I do that. I teach in kids' church once a month. I do that. I, you know, I do this. I told God I'm available. If there's a conversation he brings right in my life, and if someone says to me, I want to be discipled, I would do that. Just nobody's come up to me and said, would you please disciple me? We miss all these things, but we're busy modifying that down where he's looking for us to take the initiative in that. This is what's on his heart. He's not willing that anyone would perish. He wants people to know Jesus and to grow in him. And so he's taking his authority and placing it over our lives to do that. It's expected of us. It's, it's demanded of us. 
That's what this, this one writer says. He says, uh, this is faith which recognizes Jesus as absolute Lord of the believer's life. Mere verbal assent to his person is not enough. The reality of an individual's decision to subject himself to Christ's lordship is demonstrated in his actions and in his works. Yeah, it's not the words because you have words here. It's not just actions because you have actions here. It's things that are done under the recognition of Jesus' authority and the full surrender of life to that. That's why when Paul moves on with the Corinthians, he brings them to this point and kind of dials them back and he says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God with this body. That when you gave your life to Jesus, it became his and no longer yours or mine to lead. The goal now has to be, God, here's this day. I know you, you want people to come to Jesus. I know you want people to grow in Jesus. How do you want me to be involved in that? Because that's what life has to be about. Not on a random basis, but on an intentional, focused basis. Lord, I'm, I'm in the word. Here I am because I need to know you. I need to know who you are. It's like I sing, you are who you say you are. And who you are empowers me to know who I am and clarifies who I am in the midst of all the things I've been told about who I am or how life makes me feel about who I am. And this tells me what your priorities are and this tells me all the resources that you've given to me and this also tells me how you normally work and where you can step in and do things. So here I am under your lordship. I'm reading your word to make sure, make sure I'm on the same page with you. Yeah, literally on the same page with you. He, sa he says those things to them. Jesus becomes the focal point of your whole life. He's not just, it's not just it's Sunday, I need to go to church, I need to get encouraged. I remember talking to someone one time who, who came to Cottage Hill for a while, never really made a commitment to Jesus, but she used to say to me, I, this is so good for me, this is my moment of inspiration every week. So we talked about that, we tried to talk beyond that, but that's all, that's all this became to her. This is our moment of inspiration. We're talking about Jesus being the focal point of your life. That everything in your life revolves around him. That's, that's what it means when we, say, when we say Lord. This is out of a dictionary that I, that I tend to use. And like it says, the Lordship of God means that God gives direction, which imparts meaning to life and demands loyal and obedient action. That God gives direction to your life. He, he's got a, a direction. Some of you look back on 2019 and think, man, I was all over the place. But the following Jesus as Lord gives you your life direction. It gives it direction under a purpose that's meaningful to you and will bring abundant life that Jesus promised he would give you. But there has to be lordship that, that, that involves a loyal and obedient action. It means you're loyal to him and you're obedient to what he says you have to do and, and when, he, when it is that he says you have to do that. That's the focal point of your life. Jesus, what do you want me to do? How involved do you want my kids? How, how busy do you want my schedule? How, you know, how do you want me to use my money? How much money do you want me to give to you? How much money do you want me to put over here? How much time do I put here? How much energy do I have? Where do I find my next, you know, my next assignment? Where do I find my next step toward wholeness? Where are all those things? Jesus is the focal point of that, which is going to speak to your faithfulness to Cottage Hill, your faithfulness in the Word, your faithfulness to prayer, your faithfulness to show up. All of those things are going to reflect lordship. 
and whether it is lordship and what you're saying when you say Lord Jesus because I'm just trying to bring out what the Bible is saying when it says Lord Jesus. Remember in, remember in uh, Forrest Gump, some of you are old enough to remember that. That's been one of my humbling things of having someone as young as Annie as my administrative assistant. Is I get all these great lines that she has absolutely no clue what they mean. <laughs> so I don't know what they're doing in schools these days, but they're not. Yeah. How many of you know Forrest Gump? How many of you have seen that movie? Okay. How many of you have never seen Forrest Gump? All right. Where's Annie? You were to watch that before Tuesday. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what's the line out of Forrest Gump that goes, help me on that, it says stupid? Yeah, stupid is, so think about that. That this is, this is how it struck me that Lord is as Lord does. Because we all hear people talking about the Lord and their relationship to the Lord all the time. I mean, there are people that you're trying to, trying to bring to Jesus, you're trying to bring them to salvation, and they'll talk about the Lord, and they'll talk about how important the Lord is to them, and their lives are showing men, he's not that important to you at all. You know, you're, you've got these two things going on. Remember, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't love God and money. Same time, those two things don't go together. There's so many things people try to, oh, I love God, but I just also love you know, you just fill in the blank. Money, my family, you know, I love God, but I also love my weekends. I love God, but I love sex. I love God, but I love things that just, they can't, they can't go together. God has to have dominance over all of it. So Lord is as Lord does. One of the things that, that's the reality of that, the reality of lordship that's playing out around the world with our persecuted brothers and sisters is, is the reality of what Jesus said about his coming. He says in Matthew 10, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See what I mean when I said Jesus just came and he brought upheaval with him? All these things. So, in the persecuted church, many places, our brothers and sisters are finding this out. I mean, in a Muslim land or in a Hindu culture, when you turn your back on Islam or Hinduism and become a follower of Jesus, it's not uncommon for our brothers and sisters, however old or young they are, to be beaten. You know, I, re I read a couple months ago in one of the Voice of the Martyrs or Open Doors publications, I read about this son beating his mother for becoming a believer in Jesus. That's the reality of what Jesus has brought, and that's the reality of where they're living. In the uh, Voice of the Martyrs the app that I use and kind of get a prayer thing every day to pray for the persecuted church, today we're praying from Malaysia. In Malaysia, it's against the law for a Malay to become a Christian because Islam is their national ident identity. So it says in, in the write-up of it, if you become a Christian in, uh, in Malay, let me read this, um, no Malay churches, <clears throat> excuse me, meet openly, and it's illegal for Malays to convert to Christianity. Christian converts who are caught are confined to re-education camps. They use brainwashing techniques, torture, and propaganda to force them to return to Islam. I mean, that's the reality, and you're going you're gonna to deliver your son or your daughter or your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law, you're going to deliver them to those camps. 
so that they can be made right. That's, that's not a challenge to us in America. But can I step in on your toes a little bit and say that it's not unusual to hear, I'm going to miss church because my family has this thing and they won't understand or they'll be offended if I'm not there. Now, hear me because I don't want you to write this off. There's times when that's the right thing to do, to go to your family. But there's times your family needs to understand that Jesus is more important than they are. That lordship means saying no to them and and yes to him. You know, I don't think we're going to have attendance records. We get to heaven, you got perfect attendance for going to church every Sunday. But we are going to have lordship. Here was a Sunday you chose them over me. I just think that's something we don't process here in America. Uh, they'll, you know, they won't understand. They'll get upset. Maybe that's a good thing to see. Wow, so you're really serious about this thing. Yeah, I am. I'd love to be there. I wish you'd schedule it somewhere else. And unfortunately, the culture has just taken away Sunday morning as anything special between showers and sports and all of those things. And you just got to pray that you know that God, God shows you what is right for you and for your family. But if Jesus loses most of the time, then he's probably not Lord. If you can receive that. Remember I said, you're not going to reject what I say. You're probably going to modify that. You know, so that's just what Jesus said he does. Remember, and we're kind of looking at that as this is, Lord is as Lord does. And I understand, and, and you're right to say, yeah, I understand, Pastor Jeff, you know, you have no choice. I don't have a choice. I can't call Pastor Ted and say, you know, hey, I won't be there this morning. You know, this is going on. Yeah, I can't, I've done, I think I've twice in my life, I've had to call on a Sunday morning because I was sick, you know. I remember one time I said to Cindy, I think, I think if I just kind of go at whatever, whatever time it is to preach, I preach and I leave, I'll be okay. And she said to me, you haven't been able to make it to the bathroom yet. Why? <laughs> Why do you think you're going to... And nobody wants to see that, you know? So, you know, I'm not saying that, that is, but I, so I understand it's different for me. It can appear like it's easy for me to say, yeah, you should be here most Sundays. I'm just telling you what I read about lordship. Lordship means Sunday morning is a time when God's people come to the church that he's called you to come to to worship him. And so when you decide, no, I'm not going to do that, then it, it needs to be for a reason that would honor him. Really an honor, a reason that would honor him. Can I step a little further in? Say sometimes it's so disheartening to be on Facebook and see what's going on Saturday night and then not see people Sunday because Saturday night was just so good and went so long that Jesus loses. So, again, that's not a blanket, but if we're, if we're using the Lord, we've got to factor all that in. We've got to factor it in. So he came to divide. He came to transform life. He didn't come to tweak our lives. He didn't come even just to get us clean or sober. He didn't come to make us nicer people. Or He didn't come just to fix our marriage. He came to do all that, but he came to transform us. And he came to continue transforming us. Some of you need to come to this class that we're going to start next Sunday looking at spiritual warfare and just looking at at places where you have surrendered unknowingly to the evil kingdom. And you've done it with phrases like this, well, this is who I am, or this is what's happened to me, or if you know how wounded I have been, 
or that's just not, that's outside of my comfort zone. All of those things we use, and it's like we're handing Satan reasons to do what he says, and Jesus reasons not to do what he says. So, you know, if you hear these things and, and you respond, you even hear about the class, and it kicks into, well, you just don't understand. Well, you probably need to be there, because that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's a voice that, that you and I, we've just gotten used to hearing, and that God wants to set you free from. He's come to transform life not just to get you to come to church and not just get you to take care of eternity. He's come to transform life and to keep transforming it. And so coming into 2020, coming into 2020, I've got to be asking like you, okay, God, what is it you need to change about me now? What is the deeper thing you want to do in me now? I know it's going to make me uncomfortable. I know it's going to not always be, but it's going to be great, like the great things we've we sung about. He's come to build. Jesus only talked about building one thing. I will build my church. And, and it will be so powerful that the gates of hell won't prevail about it. That's the one thing that he's doing right now is building his church. And so if Lord is as Lord does, you just look at, okay, what am I doing? When I look at 2019, when I look ahead to 2020, what am I doing to build his church? And if he's called you to Cottage Hill, what am I doing to build Cottage Hill? And it's reach, you know, because as we've tried to emphasize over the last year, we are very clear that what God does through Cottage Hill doesn't happen all in the building. We're so grateful for what's going on outside the building, especially for what's going on outside the building. Because lost people don't tend to congregate here. Most, most times during the week, it's just me and Annie. We'd have lost people knocking on the door saying, nice building. Well, we do have a lot of people that play Pokemon around us. But all the lost people, they're outside. Hey, and he gives us good opportunities to talk to them. <clears throat> In fact, someone told me yesterday that we had to have a night where we open the building to people to come play Pokemon and have coffee. <laughs> and then in the course of things, have some conversations. So who knows? We know that you, when we're building Jesus' church, we're just spreading the gospel whether that's at 315 Cottage Street or outside 315 Cottage Street. But if Lord is as Lord does and you want to call him Lord Jesus, you have to look at what are you doing to build his church with the gifts and experiences and, and knowledge that he's given to you. He's come to rule. He's come to do the Father's will. That's what he says in this verse. He doesn't, don't tell me all these things you've done. He says it's just, you know, the ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven are the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. The one who understand God's will for their lives and are doing that. That's why it's huge that you understand what God's will for your life is and why it's huge that you read this because this is where most of what is will for your life is found in those things. And he's coming to judge. Lord is as Lord does. So it means I live in light of the fact that there's going to be a judgment day where I stand before him. And that needs to motivate me, like it motivated Paul. <clears throat> Excuse me. And who's closer to Jesus, it seems like, through the letters than Paul? He has a very personal relationship with Jesus, but yet, look at what he says. Um, no, I'm in the wrong. I'm down a chapter. There we go. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. See, now he's writing to believers. This is the believer's judgment. There's the judgment in Revelation called the great white throne. That's for lost people to stand before Jesus. This is the judgment for, for you and I who are saved. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be received what is due for the, what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. So Paul thinks of that moment. Look at the next thing that he says about it. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, 
we get back to what we're supposed to be doing. Knowing the fear of the Lord. Paul, who was very close, had a close personal relationship with Jesus, who said, there's no condemnation. He says, I wish you could just know how high and deep and wide the love of God was. Who said that also says, boy, I'm going to think of that day, knowing the fear of the Lord. We persuade others. I think the King James translates that, therefore knowing the terror of the Lord. You know, just knowing this is who God is and we're going to be in his presence and we're not going to be, oh, oh, God. But you know what happened in 2019? Because he does know what happened in 2019 and it doesn't dissuade that this was still his, his will for us in, in, the, in those areas. And that's in, in what he says. So what you say when you say, Lord Jesus, it means he has all authority over your life and you've given him that authority and you are living in light of that authority. That's what it means. That's why I just, about a month or so ago, I felt, boy, at the beginning of the year, God was really impressing on me. We need to have kind of these, let's clear the deck of what lordship has become to us and, and where we've kind of maybe slipped into and just reset things. This is who Jesus is. He's our savior and he loves us so much and he's our shepherd and he knows our name and he leads us and he, he's given us all of these things, but he does that under the umbrella of his lordship that I have to give him absolute surrender and absolute, absolute obedience. It's, there's this phrase that, that used to be used in camp when I was going to Word of Life. You, maybe you've heard it, maybe it's just gone. It was a great phrase that Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not at all. He doesn't, he's not satisfied that, well, God, you have 80% of my life. That's not lordship. Lordship is absolute and it's total. So, so imagine for a moment Imagine for a moment what he could do in your life if you just gave him free reign. And if you took away those things that we always say, as long as you don't, or as long as you understand, this is kind of who I am. And imagine what he could do with you if you gave that to him. Or imagine what he could do with you if you just made yourself totally available. God, just use me. You're doing this, you're doing this amazing thing all around the world. Let me in on it. To show me, show me where my part is in it. Where the Jesus, the Jesus point of that is. Imagine if he could really transform you the way that he'd love to transform you and use you the way that he'd love to use you. Imagine what Cottage Hill would be like, you know, if we gave him that kind of authority and that kind of freedom as a whole. Imagine that. What we need to do is go beyond imagining that and, and just put that into action, put that into reality.